Well, I am happy to report I am not recording this from my in-law's garage. Today's episode is coming to you from my daughter's bedroom. Now, before you feel sorry for me, I will say that this bedroom overlooks the Caribbean. I can see C. I can see C. Get it? S E E S E A. You might be thinking, oh, this guy thinks he's. Does this guy think he's cool because he's got a house and he's uh, in and out the window? He can see the Caribbean, and that within. You know, five minutes I could walk out the door and be swimming in the Caribbean. Does that that make the guy cool? And I would answer you, yes. Yes, it does make me cool. You know who else was cool? Caesar. In fact, the people of Rome thought he was very cool. He was very popular. Shakespeare makes it clear. It's also clear that Mark Antony uses this popularity and this coolness to incite the people to rebellion. Now, I'm not suggesting that someone come kill me and that you incite podcast listeners throughout the world to rebellion. But if someone does kill me, you have my permission. And we might want to ask ourselves, does Shakespeare's version of Caesar reflect reality? Well, according to historians, it is undoubtedly, and I quote, it is undoubtedly true that Caesar was a ruler loved by the people. During his dictatorship, he made many strides to reduce debt, unemployment, and give the Roman people better lives. Kind of like me as a podcaster giving you better lives, right? I'm not giving you any money, though. To start, Caesar proposed new laws that redistributed lands to the poor and limited the amount of money that one single person could have on them at one time. I always found that interesting. You can only carry 20 bucks at a time. I don't know what the amount was. Maybe a few drachmas? That's me speaking, not the historian. Back to the historian. Furthermore, Caesar offered jobs to the poor to work in Rome's overseas colonies and even granted citizenship to foreigners living in the Republic. Caesar also manifested various public works projects to benefit the Roman populace. To start, he constructed a new harbor, canal, senate house, and the Forum Julium, which you can still walk through today. (laughs) Who knew? I was in Rome a couple years ago, three or four years ago. If I'd have known that, I would have walked through it. Even after his death, Caesar kept on giving. In his will, he allocated his villa, gardens, and art gallery be made open to the general public. Not only that, he also left his riches to be divided between the people of Rome, given a portion of his own money to each citizen. And uh, our good friend Antony mentions this. He reads the will to the citizens in the play, at least. It is without question that Caesar made an effort to show the Roman people he cared. With the admiration of all of Rome, Julius Caesar was able to climb up in the ranks and become one of the most powerful leaders of all time. Greetings and welcome to the Teaching ALA podcast, where this summer we combine my two favorite things, literature and summer vacation. Get ready for some literary quotes. Act 3 of Julius Caesar is one of the greatest acts in the history of drama, full of famous lines such as et tu brute, but one must look to Mark Antony for the greatest lines in the play and the greatest speech in all of literature. For those of you who haven't ever who haven't seen a young Marlon Brando as Mark Antony, you really haven't experienced the full Shakespeare experience. In fact, your life has been a complete failure if you haven't watched that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But but you should go watch that. Quote Antony says, Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. It's Act 3, Scene 2, Line 75-76. And here begins the greatest political speech ever recorded. His opening lines are ironic. Antony does nothing but praise Caesar, eventually leading the crowd to mutiny. Imagine that, a politician saying something, but meaning something else. <laughs> I guess uh, things were different back then, because we know all our politicians today are honest, right? And uh, let's quote Antony again. 
Quote, O masters, if I were disposed to stir your hearts and minds to mutiny and rage, I should do Brutus wrong and Cassius wrong, who you all know are honorable men. Act 3, scene 2, lines 123 through 126. So here Antony's funeral oration continues. He uses verbal irony, calling Brutus and Cassius honorable men to incite the mob, because he doesn't really think they're honorable, and at this point has done nothing but trash them sarcastically. He tells the mob to mutiny by telling them he's incapable of doing such a thing. Another example of irony, as you've probably recognized because you're an English teacher. These two quotes provide an opportunity to rediscuss. Rediscuss? Is that a word? Some of the things we've talked about on recent podcast episodes. One, wise people making poor decisions. In this case, the wise person making poor decisions is Brutus. He initially lets Antony live, even though he was a dear friend of Caesar and likely to avenge his death. And secondly, he lets Antony speak at Caesar's funeral. You know, for being wise, Brutus sure is stupid. I mean, really? You're going to let the guy speak at the funeral? We've also discussed irony in Antony's speech is so full of verbal irony that it makes me giddy. <laughs> I love how he claims he'd never be able to incite the people to riot when he's in the midst of inciting them to riot. That's beautiful. You can use these little tricks in your class, by the way. It works. I'm trying to think of an example, but I can't. You know, I'm not telling you to go. I'm not telling you to tell your parents to complain to the principal about the size of this class. But... If they did, it might help. Things like that. So is there anything more ironic than me starting ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com after an administrator told me my lesson plans weren't very good? Probably there's a lot more ironic than that. If you don't have good lesson plans, your class might be asking for a metaphorical knife in the back on your next principal's observation. That's why I have two resources for you in the show notes. If you're looking to make the rest of your summer, there's probably not much left now. My my friend in Las Vegas has started. Jeff, Laura, if you're listening, shout out. Shout out to Jeff and Laura in Las Vegas. If you're looking uh, back to the summer, knife in the back, I've got great news. Not the knife in the back part, not school starting part, but that I have a course specifically designed for ELA teachers on how to create a semester's worth of lesson plans in just a few days. Now, I've given this course to my friend Jeff. Actually, I haven't. Jeff, if you're listening, just send me an email. I'll send it to you. You probably don't need it because you've been teaching like 20 years, but it could help. It helped me. It helped me. Actually, whether you've been teaching two years or 20 years, this course can help. It's like all the stuff they should have taught you in college, but didn't. Like, what what'd you pay all that money in college for when and you get in the classroom and you're like, what the bleep am I doing? Can I say bleep on the on a podcast? I guess so. If you're just looking for Julius Caesar lesson plans, they're over at ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com, along with a ton of other stuff. Just go to ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com, but not until after you finish this podcast episode. Speaking of lesson plans... Got a quick one for you here. Talked about it in the last one, irony analysis. If you're looking for a lesson plans that makes these quotations hit home, not pop. Last time I said pop, but my kids said you're not cool enough to say make these quotations pop. So make these quotations really highlight the expertise of Billy Shake. Teach irony. Three column chart. Left column, quotation. Middle column, type of irony. Right column, a little bit of analysis. Give you some examples. Antony says in Act 3, Scene 2, Lines 85 and 86, But Brutus says he was ambitious, and Brutus is an honorable man. That would be verbal irony, because Antony calls Brutus an honorable man, when in fact he suggests the opposite. Good job, Antony. Here's another example. This is one of the conspirators. Uh, after Calpurnia 
or is it Calpurnia? I don't know. Someone has a vision about Romans bathing in blood at the foot of Caesar's statue, which actually sounds real, sounds really gross, doesn't it? It was a vision someone had. I don't know if it was Caesar or Calpurnia. I know Calpurnia had a dream about storms, whatever. doesn't matter. Caesar's like, I don't know. That sounds like a pretty strange vision. I don't know. If one of my students came in and said, yeah, I had a dream that uh, we're all bathing in your in blood at the foot of the statue. They have a statue of me out in front of the school because my lesson plans are so good. Oh, that's not me. <laughs> so William William T. Sampson's statue. I thought it was mine. Anyhow, I'd be a little bit freaked out. But one of the conspirators says to Caesar, this dream is all a misinterpreted. It was a vision fair and fortunate. And that is a verbal irony. It is a vision fair and fortunate for the conspirators because they, they want him to die. But that's not how Caesar takes the declaration. He's like, it's fair and fortunate. And then he makes up some story. Verbal irony. There's a life lesson here, don't you think? The assassination fallout would have gone much better for the assassins had Brutus gotten off his high horse just a little. Brutus is Mr. High. I remember when I was a senior in high school. It was a long time ago, 35 years ago. My teacher seemed to like Brutus. Good. She was a, she was a great teacher, but I'm like, I don't like Brutus at all. And I still don't. And she told me not to talk anymore. I mean, I offered up my opinion, gave some evidence for it, and she just scoffed at me. I'm like, what the heck? I never talked again in that class, which was probably a gift to everyone else. But now I'm talking to you. Anyhow, Brutus needs to get off his high horse. It's like, Brutus, you just stabbed your freaking best friend. You're not all that honorable, dude. So so probably when Mark Antony is calling Brutus honorable, he's like, yes, I am honorable. I'm doing this for Rome. Dude, seriously? Freaking hate Brutus. Not as much as Friar Lawrence. I don't hate Brutus. I do feel he was doing it for Rome, but come on, get off your high horse. You just literally stabbed your best friend in the back. Not like, you know, you didn't like go behind his back and, and, you know, and criticize him. You like literally went behind his back, took a knife and inserted the knife into his back. Like literally, like this isn't a metaphor. This is really what happened in the play at least. And he's talking about how honorable he is. He did it for Rome. He needs to shut his fat face. Although I've never stabbed anyone, I sometimes get on my high horse in the classroom and act like I've never made a mistake. I'm probably doing that right now. I'm on my high horse a little bit. If I do it in the classroom, you know, you shouldn't have your phone out, kid. And you just go off on them when at the teacher meetings you're at this week. If you're coming back to school, you probably had your phone out the entire time. I know I plan on it. I have to go back next week. And you can bet your bottom dollar I'm not going to be paying one lick of attention to anything anyone says. Is that going to stop me from yelling at my students for doing the same exact thing? Absolutely not. Because what I have to say is important. Remember that. Get on your high horse could get you in a little bit of trouble, could alienate colleagues and make you look like a total cornhole. Am I allowed to say cornhole on a podcast? I'm checking with my legal team, which consists of the Harry Styles poster in my daughter's room. Harry? Our Harry Styles poster says it's all right. I'd also like to add a bonus life lesson. Caesar thought these people over whom he ruled were his friends. He was mistaken and paid for this mistake with his life. Too often I've seen colleagues think his or her students were friends and the repercussions of such thoughts have brought trouble and disgrace upon many a teacher. Your students are not your friends. They are your students. I've always urged young teachers to maintain strict boundaries between themselves and their students, including social media. I get a lot of uh, pushback on this. Now I can be friends with them on Facebook. It's like, really? You really want your students to know what you did last weekend? You really want them to see that picture? Probably not. Just, it's not worth it. Not worth it. <sighs> get off my lawn. Am I being get off my lawn, teacher? Probably not. All right. Takeaways. Number one, smart people do stupid things. Number two, takeaway. You should watch Marlon Brando's Julius Caesar speech. I'm sure it's on YouTube. And number three, your students aren't your friends. Yeah, you can be friendly. You can want what's best for them, but they're not your friend. They'll turn on you in a second. But I won't. Thanks for listening to the Teaching ELA podcast. 
For more teacher-ready, student-ready lesson plans, head on over to ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com. That's ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com, where we have hundreds of lesson plans and handouts that are ready to use right now. And as always, if this podcast has helped you thrive in the classroom, we'd appreciate a like and a review. 